Here's what's coming up on this episode of the Beaver Tales podcast. I've narrowed it down that there's two types of ways to coach. And you can be an intimidator or you can inspire people. Intimidation is kind of like you scream and yell and it, and it works. You get an, a real quick response and that's not really our style. We try to think of ourselves as inspiring people to do, why do you need to work hard? Why do we need to do this? Find out your why to this. And, and then that's a slower process but it's a healthier process and it develops a much better person down the road, in my opinion. That's just one small segment of this conversation coming up on this episode of the Beaver Tales podcast. Before we get to this full conversation with Michael Chaplin, I'd like to mention today's nonprofit. I feature some different charities on this podcast for free and today's charity is Food for the Hungry. They believe that throwing money at the problem doesn't work when it comes to poverty. Instead, Food for the Hungry helps provide resources, education, and empowerment to help people build sustainable lives. To see their work all over the world and in this country, check out Food for the Hungry at fh.org. Again, that's fh.org. Check out the show description for a link to Food for the Hungry, as well as another link to an exciting project called the Beaver Tales Documentaries. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy this episode of the Beaver Tales Podcast. This is the Beaver Tales Podcast with Josh Wharton, who has covered Oregon State athletics since 2013. Hello again, everybody. I'm Josh Warden. On this podcast, I talk with former Oregon State student-athletes and former or current coaches to get their thoughts on their own career, how they transitioned out of it, their realizations and life lessons learned during their career afterwards, what they've seen their athletes do as they've coached or whatever their story may be, and getting a look at who they are broader than just their competitive career. Michael Chaplin had quite the competitive career himself, a two-time All-American at UCLA. Michael has now completed 23 seasons at Oregon State as an assistant coach in the gymnastics program. He actually spent most of this past season as the head coach because Tanya Chaplin took a leave of absence for medical reasons. All signs I've seen recently is that Tanya is doing well and expecting to be at full strength next season. So Michael will continue as an assistant coach. And by the way, those two are married, Michael and Tanya Chaplin. She's the head coach. And it was fun to connect their story with another podcast guest I've had recently, Jen Llewellyn. Now, Jen competed for OSU back when she was known as Jen Kessler. And after she graduated nine years ago, she later became a head coach at Lindenwood University and is married to her assistant coach, similarly to Tanya and Michael Chaplin here in Corvallis. Now, Jen competed for Tanya and Michael and now joins them in the category of coaches who are married to their assistant coach husbands. And as for Michael's personal career, himself in gymnastics, he won two national championships before coming to OSU, one as a gymnast at UCLA, one as a coach at Seattle Pacific. He was a two-time All-American gymnast at UCLA, a Pac-10 champion on steel rings, If you can't visualize what still rings are, it's basically just two rings suspended about 10 feet up in the air, and the gymnast does a whole routine flipping around, holding different poses while showing tremendous grip strength, arm strength, core strength, probably strength in muscle groups I'm not even familiar with, but point being, takes a lot of muscle endurance to do that. So we talk about still rings, a lot of coaching philosophy stuff, and transitioning away from sports and all of the above with Michael Chaplin. Michael was telling me right before we started recording that they are doing some practices actually on campus right now. They have to go all through these tests and get their temperature checked when they walk into the facility. And it's just a few gymnasts that are here in town that are currently on the roster. And they do some 
uh, limited practices, not super long, not a ton of hours, but some off-season workouts. So they're not totally back in the swing of things, but at least competing and staying in shape and practicing their skills. So we start out with that and move on to a lot of topics. So here is the native of Albuquerque, New Mexico, Michael Chaplin is my latest guest on the Beaver Tales podcast. Well, Michael, thanks for joining me on the podcast. It seems like you're able to get back in the gym a little bit and get some work done with some of the athletes that are in town. Does it feel good to be back on the mat and feel like you're doing, albeit a little different than normal, but still gymnastics somewhat? Does it feel nice to do that? Oh, it's wonderful. It was so hard because we're used to working out all the time, right? And that's kind of what you do day in and day out. And all of a sudden that just stopped like March 13th. That was it. We were done. And, you, and you, none of us knew how long this was going to last, right? And so we're waiting, waiting, and waiting. And then July 6th rolled around, and we were able to – people that are here on campus were able to have some open gym practice. So it's been really nice just to go in there and teach gymnastics. You know, that's what I do. So um, it's been fun. It's been really enjoyable just to – even though it's a couple hours and we're just doing basics, uh, it's really been nice to get back in the gym for sure. It was a crazy end to the season. It was right leading up to – senior night and that whole week was was odd of we're gonna have the meet and oh maybe we won't have the meet or there'll be no fans or maybe they won't come but we'll just do a meet and then okay there's no meet and then everything just fell apart so now that you've had some time to reflect on that and there's been a few months in between that and maybe conversations you've had with the seniors Isis Lowry is a good example because she was a senior but she'll be staying and with the program for the foreseeable future so whether it's with Isis or other of the senior athletes who had a very unfortunate end to their career. What have you gotten out of them and how they've responded and how you personally have reflected on what was an unfortunate end, but maybe some silver linings to it too. What would have been your reflections? Right. Yeah, it was, it was definitely, this was one of the weirder uh, things I've ever experienced. Um, and certainly super sad for the seniors more than, more than anybody. I mean, it's sad for all those athletes who are working hard and don't get to complete the season. Right. But the other the younger athletes know that okay hopefully next year we're gonna get this chance again but our seniors like isis and mela and sabrina and i'm gonna forget everybody uh hallie aren't gonna get to come back um where which is a bummer i mean their their career was over right and we had been talking about senior night you know that's something we start talking to the athletes about you know from the beginning of their career you know and they see the other seniors have their senior night in gill coliseum and it's super special because um, I, I look back on one of the, one of the things I remember, uh, one of the seniors finished her many years ago, early in our career, finished her last pass on floor. She waves to the crown, kind of turns around and starts coming back to the, to the group. And she's crying a little bit. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you hurt. And cause we had more meets to go. And she's like, no, Michael, I'm sad just because this is it. I know this is my last time in Gill and I'm going to miss it. And that's when I was like, Oh, that's what we want. I mean, I was sad for her, but happy that, you know, that that's what you want. You want our athletes to realize how special it is competing at Oregon State, uh, being part of the program, being in front of our fans at Gill Coliseum. And so our, this, this year's seniors, you know, they were looking forward to it. You know, they had family in town. ISIS had people coming all the way from Australia, Mela from family from Hawaii, Hallie from Texas, so everywhere, right? Um, Alyssa Minyard from Colorado. And so, um it it was a hard night it was it was hard that day when when we finally said you know 
we're done. The season's over, you know, because like you said, we were kind of like, all right, we had a meet against Illinois and maybe we're going to do it. Maybe we're not. And then all of a sudden, nope. And then all of a sudden, no Pac-12s, season's over. And it was all, all wrapped up. And so, um, yeah, this has been a, a definitely a, a weird period. And, and um, but it can also, like the other said, the silver lining probably is, you know, that's life, right? And, and you have to have learning experiences, right? And no one's guaranteed anything, you know, and that's really, really something you can learn from um, as, as a young person that, you know, don't take, they don't take things for granted ever. Um, and so I think that's probably the silver lining that they'll, they'll look back and have wonderful memories. And maybe this particular moment was, uh, you know, sad and difficult, but they can grow from it and learn from it and really then embrace all their other experiences that they they got their whole lives, lots to look forward to because they're all wonderful young women that have worked really, really hard. And I think, you know, they, they will have other wonderful experiences and I think they'll maybe feel that and appreciate it a little bit more. I'd be interested in hearing the finish to your career and you're at UCLA and right. I'm not sure if they do it the same way now as then, obviously Oregon state competes in Gill. When you were at UCLA, did they do it in your era in Poly or did they have a separate facility? Yeah. Where oh, we did it in Poly Pavilion. We, okay. we back then we competed um, a little bit in the John Wooden center, but our bigger meets that we would a lot more meets they started having in, in Poly Pavilion. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, end of my career let me think if i can think back that far do you remember your your senior day and the, the did you have tears in your eyes the last time you finished you know what, what's funny about a little bit different for men's gymnastics than women at this age you can continue on and 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 still compete at a high level like like for me as i trained at ucla we would finish our ncaa season and then i would begin to train for the usa championships like I, I had to do compulsories and optionals. And so as soon as our regionals was over, I mean, our national championships were over, then you start preparing for championships in the USA. And so the same thing, even, uh, you know, I, I did recognize as I was getting towards the end of my career that this was going to be my last collegiate experience. And there may not have been as much fanfare, you know, in, 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 in Poly Pavilion that time, but my last experience competed in nationals I knew I was made finals on rings and I go well this is for sure my last competition collegiately last time I'll be wearing uh, the jersey but I there was a chance that I could still compete in in championships but it, you, you didn't know and but I remember that and luckily I did well and that was the last time I ever competed because as I went forward I decided to kind of just finish school and, and move, I actually started coaching my fifth year right away um that's a whole nother long story, but, uh, but yeah, so I do remember, but it probably wasn't as much fanfare as, as maybe we built things up to um, as the years have gone by. One of the main themes I like to get into in this podcast is the transition of when athletes become something other than athletes and what they have to turn to, what they become, what their identity is when they're no longer able to say, I'm the guy who competes in front of the you know, cheering fans in the football stadium or on the softball field or whatever it may be. And so for you, whether maybe it was a gradual finish where, okay, you finished college, but you got the USA gymnastics or you got coaching or whatever it may be to kind of transition, maybe softer. But at some point you were Michael Chaplin, the gymnast. And then later on you were Michael Chaplin, something else, not the gymnast. And it was right. finished at some point. So 
what did you learn about yourself and transition into not just physically and coaching, but as a person in terms of you realizing, oh, I can't define myself as an athlete anymore? That's exactly right. Even in my, uh, during my career as a gymnast, with different struggles, you started, we started talking to different people because everybody goes through it. You're, you have your identity wrapped into you as a gymnast and you have to start, I had to start learning that I was more than just a gymnast. I was a college student. I was getting my degree, things like that. And as I began to learn that, understand that that's just what I do. It's not what I am as a person. Um, I learned that pretty early on and that, that helps when, once you do that to separate that, then you start to realize as you do have to move on, you know, the gymnastics part has to end. I can still be involved in the sport. And obviously I've remained, I have, I, I had passion for it. I loved it for a short period of time. I got out once I graduated. Okay. So my fifth year I finished and I was coaching my fifth year as I was finishing my schoolwork. Tanya and I weren't married yet. We went up to Seattle and I, I thought, okay, I need to see if I want to go to law school. So I worked in a law firm for about five months, hated it. Great law firm, wonderful people because I thought I should, but someone offered me a coaching job. I went back into coaching. I was much happier, like instantly. And so I knew this is, I'd rather do this. This is what I want to do. And then long story short, got, Tanya and I got married. She was at, I started working at Seattle Pacific University um, for about three years while she was at UW. And then we applied and got the job down here. I went off on a tangent. I can barely remember your question. But it's in terms of your identity, I guess, yes, as, as an athlete, yes. even as we began coaching and what we do now, our philosophy is, we, we even talk to the prospects. I, when I talk to them on Zoom, we talk to them about life after gymnastics. That's really, really important that um, they understand that it does come to an end and that the sooner that they start to figure that out, um, the better off they're going to be. The better they'll get to the end of their career and be ready for that next phase and be prepared as opposed to thinking about it all of a sudden at the end of your you know, fourth, fifth year and what do I do now, you know? Some people deal with it really well and can kind of really figure those things out. Um, other people, it's a little bit, you know, everybody's a little different. They might struggle a little bit with trying to find that, that passion of what they want to do or what they, or area they want to follow. So yeah, it's something that we definitely talk to our athletes about. Um, you know, you're more than just a gymnast. You know, you're a college student, you're a teammate, you're a friend, whatever those things are, and you develop them and how important that is. And you start to think about life once this all ends, because it does come to an end. And the more prepared you are for that, um, the easier that or smoother that transition will be. Right. Have you noticed in your gymnast, now that you've been coaching at Oregon State for a couple of decades, that the ones who do handle it well, and the ones who are prepared for that, is there a correlation before that where you realize, oh, the gymnasts who do this blank thing didn't do well and the ones who didn't don't do well and if so what is that blank that symptom what is it it's really it's it's interesting we'll have some people as we recruit them we start recruiting these young women like sophomore year in high school uh, somewhere even earlier than that somewhere we used to be able to contact them as freshmen and as freshmen you you don't i know not to talk too much about i mean they're still trying to figure out high school thinking beyond college is almost too much i might talk about areas or subjects but occasionally you'll run into certain people that really have a 
a good sense of what they want to do. And, and they're already focused on driven like life after gymnastics and they want to go into the medical field or, or in this certain area, or I want to go into, you know, maybe law, or I, I want to be a teacher. And then they tend to really seem to get through things pretty easily. Others are, are not sure, which is common. And then all of a sudden we'll sometimes find it. And that, that is great. I would say those are mo most of the people we have. We have fewer people that kind of seem to not know for sure exactly what they want to do, but you keep working with them and talking to them. And, and I think people eventually figure it out. Um, but everybody's a little different, you know, and, and it's hard to pin, pinpoint, but there are some that come in like um, Jamie Wright, who's Jamie Keefe now. Uh, she was like, I want to be a dentist. It's like she was driven and, and then she started taking classes and she's like, no, I'm going to be a doctor, you know, and, and now she's going to OHSU medical school and do it. I mean, she was like from the get go. Um, and so, you know, and then Taylor Keeker, I think always wanted to be a teacher and she's a teacher up in, uh, up in Salem. So we have, we've had all, all sorts of different, if different scenarios play out and uh but yeah i would say people that sometimes come in with a pretty good sense of what they want to do after uh seem to navigate it a little bit easier hi everybody i hope you're enjoying this interview on the beaver tales podcast i want to interrupt real quick to give an update on a new project coming up later this year i'll be unveiling a full season's worth of sports documentaries related to oregon state athletics these audio documentaries will give you a deeper look at some of the most classic beaver moments and the first season will center around the 2018 beaver baseball team i've already interviewed about a dozen players and coaches from that team as well as people not affiliated with osu that'll give you a new perspective on that championship squad. That team, it's like there was a constant level of greatness that was to be upheld. Those are legends who were on that 2018 team. I mean, that many first rounders in the same lineup. Whether we won the national championship or not, I was always gonna love those guys. Again, this project will come out hopefully later this calendar year. I'll give you more information about a release date and other info as well, right here on future episodes of the Beaver Tales podcast. All right, back to the interview. Whenever I talk with coaches, whether they be current ones, having Mark Barnard on the podcast recently or former coaches at Oregon State, I like to talk about coaching philosophy, lessons within coaching, and how you've developed as a coach. And one thing that hit me was looking at the awards that you have won from, you know, the National Association of Collegiate Gymnastics Coaches, for example, and, you know, the West Region Coach of the Year 2011, or the West Region Co-Assistant Coach of the Year, that was 2003, and even before that in 1999. And it hit me. I'm sure you won that award in 99, and I'm sure over the past 21 years, it's not the case that you haven't changed at all, you've learned nothing, the gymnasts have made no, no impact, your family hasn't helped you grow as a person, you, you're just the exact same person. I'm sure that's not the story over the past 21 years, but you already were coaching at a high level then, having won those awards. So how, where have you grown the most and changed the most? Not that you were an unsuccessful coach then and grew into being a good coach, but you started out high and... I'm sure have still grown in some areas. So how have you changed over the past 21 years? Well, uh, one of the things, a couple things, um, as a coach, I always feel like you should continually try to learn and grow like that. If you get to a point where you think you know it all, you don't, you're never there because everything, the kids change, uh, I changed, circumstances change. And so you always have to be adapting, learning. Um, the sport of gymnastics has developed even since, um, when, when I first started, we used to do the vault horse. I don't know if you know that, but it was, it was a horse, right, that, that I competed on. And then it switched to a table. The springs got better. So if you look at gymnastics, I posted something on my Facebook page about, like, 
1912 and 2012 gymnastics on high bar and it's a it looks completely different so in gymnastics the sport evolves and you have to stay on top of it keep learning your maybe our the thing that doesn't change is maybe the my approach or the things that i've tried to get better at and even when i first started one of the things that tanya and i talked about is you know i've narrowed it down that there's two types of ways to coach and you can be an intimidator or you can inspire people intimidation is kind of like you scream and yell and it and it works you see you've seen those coaches right you follow coaches they scream they yell berate players and you get an, a real quick response right and and that's not really our style we like we try to think of ourselves as inspiring people to to do why do you need to work hard why do we need to do this find out your why to this and and then that's a slower process but it's a healthier process and it develops a much better person down the road in my opinion in our opinion and i think we you can see that from a lot of our athletes we want them to still love the sport when they're done and and if you get them to understand the sport why do we need to work hard if you want to be competitive you got to do these numbers and these drills and you can you talk about how to get excited about it you know then it's a lot better i can scream and yell at someone and they'll they'll respond it's like the military they're yelling at you you know do this or, you know because you know you respond but it's a that's a short in my opinion a really quick type of fix that doesn't last over a long period of time and and it just that's not our style so that's the one thing that's that's probably been i don't want to get into who coaches like that who doesn't but our style definitely we try to to be inspirational talk about why we do gymnastics why do we need to work hard i mean why do you need to do it as a, as, as a gymnast so that style probably has been the same, but certainly there's other things. The sport itself continues to evolve. Um, the, the athletes, the generations change a little bit, right? Their outlook after 20, really 25 years of coaching now, because I did three years at SPU and Tanya was seven years at, at UW. So we've been in it quite a while. Things have changed. And so you got to stay on top of that as well. Yeah, that's a good answer. And and you're right. There has been plenty of examples in gymnastics over the years of of the intimidating coaches it's not that they're unsuccessful but there are great downsides for the athletes they interact with so i mean you right now just the topical thing on, on you watch athlete a and the, the elite coaches and kind of what's going on with with a certain style of coaching that that like i said it it gets results um but a lot of them are, are can be damaging and very unhealthy in the long run which is really really sad i think you'll hear a lot of elite gymnasts talk about their experience through different programs. It's not just the US, it's Australia, it's UK. Um, and it's, it's not great. Uh, but a lot of them go into college and they'll, you'll hear a phrase that we found a lot. I love why I did the sport, why I loved the sport, like when I was young. And we try to definitely encourage that with our athletes here at Oregon State, because that's, that's what it should be. You know, that's why you should, you should do it because you love it and understand why you're working hard. You brought up Tanya briefly and having been coaching with her at Oregon State um, since you came here and even being married before you came here. It was also fun to hear another perspective of your story and her own story with Jen Kessler or now Jen Llewellyn in a very similar situation. She's coaching and doing really well over in Missouri at Lindenwood, a D2 program. She married Cody Llewellyn, who then right. joined her gymnastics program. So he's an assistant. So basically, same thing. Husband is the assistant, wife is the head coach, and they've got a successful program. You've done great things at Oregon State. So Jen said she had talked with you a little bit and picked up things while she was competing for you. So when you talked with her, however much that was, did you get to kind of relive your own story of, oh, yeah, that's what it was like to get married and be in our early days and then give advice to her? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, the funny thing is in gymnastics, there's been a lot of husband-wife duos. I don't know if you knew that. I mean, all the way back in Alabama, not currently, but um, the Pattersons, the Marsdens at Utah. So it wasn't unusual. Um, and there are many other examples. Um, but when Jen and Cody chose to work together, um, that was, when Tanya and I first got here, we, we basically applied together. We came as a team. Um, and we've had to figure out the best way to, to work together, right? And it is, there are challenges, no doubt about it. Um, one of the good things for us is trying to learn how to, and I think we probably shared with Jen, is you got to separate work life and, and um, your, your, your home life. You know, try not to bring it always home. There are times where you just can't help it. You'll all of a sudden chit chat while you're brushing your teeth or, you know, something, but you can't do that too much. You got to make sure that there's some separation there. Um, that's probably advice we've given them. Um, and then same thing as a married couple with your, with your other staff, you have to be professional within this realm. I mean, sometimes I get a little bit goofy, uh, but, but for the most part, you know, we have to still be cordial and respectful just like we would to anybody else, you know, cause sometimes, you know, with our, your spouse or anybody, sibling, family member, you can be a little short with them sometimes and that make, can make other people uncomfortable. So you have to try to remind yourself, be professional in this environment as well. Um, and, and so that, those are probably some of the, some advice that we gave Jen and, and Cody. And, and so, uh, you know, they're going to do great. They're going to do great. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they have been and the national championships at the USA gymnastics level are really cool to see, uh, for back to kind of your career competing at UCLA and what you got to do there and beyond, uh, you know, two time all American four years on the U S senior national team, what are some of the fun memories that you tend to reminisce about, whether you catch up with your teammates from UCLA or you're talking with gymnasts at Oregon State and you tell a story from your career competing? What are the stories that you tend to bring up the most and get the most laughs? Oh, man. There's, there's probably been too many. One of the things that I would do, and I'll tell this story, and Brittany Harris will remember this one. I don't know if she told you or not. But so when I was younger, I first started coaching, I was, I was more fit and I would like to demonstrate. I'd get up there and do stuff and, and I would, you know, chill. Okay, you got to turn over and do this or that. I was trying to explain Brittany about it. It's called a Tkachev and she needed to do this certain motion, swinging on the bar, turn your feet up, snap over, do a flip. And I got up on the bar and I did it. I started going and I peeled off and landed flat face and and she was dying and, and i'm like i shouldn't i shouldn't demonstrate anymore i'm too old and out of shape to do that so those those are the things that you know it's, it's a great experience so there comes a moment when you realize i'm not an athlete but you're still in that window of oh I, but i can still demonstrate i can still show you and then okay even that even that time's gone that, your, that's... your brain thinks you can do it i was just telling i was telling uh naya that today i go you know because we talked about you know coming back from this downtime that you're gonna have to build back up and I go even when you retire you'll see your the in gymnastics your skill level drops super fast right and then all of a sudden you know you can't do it anymore and and, and but in your head sometimes you'll think I can still do it I can still do that and you'll come in because you feel pretty good and you start to move around and do stuff and you're like nope can't do it anymore so that's just the nature of our sport a little bit speaking of men's gymnastics in particular I realize it's been a while since I've watched men's gymnastics I've been to some Oregon State meets I went to a handful recently but 
I hadn't watched men's gymnastics since like growing up and watching the Olympics maybe. And in particular, I hadn't seen the steel rings done in forever. Like I just kind of forgot what the routines look like and stuff. And you won a Pac-10 championships on steel rings. And so I recently went back and watched some YouTube videos. I watched, uh, you probably know the name Eleftherios Petrunius, you know, the, yeah, yeah. the most recent strong guy. Yeah. yeah. Won the last Olympics, I believe on steel rings and the, the strength and the pliability to hold uh, one pose he did was the inverted cross. So his yep. toes are straight up in the air, arms in a T, just upside down, basically. I don't know if you incorporated in that year, in your routines. Did you do that or ever try? What, what sort of poses were you doing? So I just did this traditional iron cross where you, you hold yourself up and you go down. That's all I needed to do back then. In men's gymnastics, it has evolved so much over the last 25, 30 years, even in women, what they're doing now, it's phenomenal. But how strong the men have gotten and the difficulty they do on high bar blows my mind. One of the stories I, I would, when I was a gymnast, or we were getting ready for we're national team training camp and there was an Olympian, a guy named Scott Johnson, and we're working out and a guy named Dan Hayden, he was the first one to do a double, it's called a Kovacs, over the double back over the bar recatch. It was like insane back then, right? And I remember Scott looking at me and he's like, Man, I'm glad I'm almost done because that was that's a crazy release. Now that release is like basic. I mean, what wow. they do now is twice as hard and twice as good, and they'll do multiple of them. And so just in the you know 35 years, the things that they do in our sport, it just keeps they keep pushing the envelope. And that's one of the things that I find I love about it. If you watch a basketball game or a football game, it's still 100 yards. A lot of those skill sets are very similar. 30 years ago, right? You know, I mean, other than the three-point line of basketball, maybe, but they were still shooting them from distance. Now they just made the rules a little different, but a slam dunk then was a slam dunk now, and a three-point shot, I mean, that doesn't change. In gymnastics, the stuff that I did is like basic compared to what the guys do now, and I, I was on the national team, and so that's what's kind of fun about the sport and also slightly terrifying, because you're like, how? what else are they going to do? Like Simone Biles, what she can do is mind-boggling for me that's what i love I, I just love to see that that growth of the sport and it's still really beautiful what's the aftermath even if you're only doing the iron cross you're not doing the inverted cross or anything it still takes a tremendous amount of muscle strength that to hold that position so what's the aftermath of finishing a routine and are your muscles just what does that feel like right then and maybe the next day the soreness what does that feel like to finish a steel rings routine if you do it right, it doesn't feel, you feel perfectly fine. That's how, that's how, when you, what you see on TV is the end result. You don't see the 10,000 reps that we all do. Like the thing about gymnastics, I wish I would have started younger. I didn't start until I was 12. A lot of people don't know that. I wish I would have started when I was eight years old. That's when you should start. Women gymnasts start when they're like three. Like you'll talk to them and three, four, five years old, six years old. And that's what you have to do. You, there's so much skill development and strength that you have to do that, um, it takes years. Like when our daughter was funny because she, she played a little bit of gymnastics, did a little bit, but then we put her in soccer and I didn't, I didn't know much about soccer. And she's like, dad, I have a game next week. And I'm like, wait a minute, you, you just started practice like last week. How can you be in a game already? I go in gymnastics. We train for years before we're ever even in a meet. Like kids will do. Now they've improved that because a lot of kids, you know, they, they make it a little bit sooner that kids can start competing. But in gymnastics, if you do it right, you do so many reps so much strength like that's why we work out four to six hours a day because it takes so many numbers to get to that where you see that really polished look 
it, it, when you go to watch a meet on YouTube, those kind of things, you're seeing an end result of a lot of, a lot of work. Right. Yeah. If I no, did I, now, I would pop and explode. <laughs> like if I did any of the, like just hold yourself up for a second and you, you'll feel it the next day. But in gymnastics, if you prepare correctly in a meet the next day, you might be a little bit sore because of the landings, but for the most part, it's no different than any other sport done correctly. Yeah. Let's close with a, a memory that um, that Mary Jacobson shared, and I'll have you and Mary go back to back in the episodes. It'll be a gymnastics week of, right. of the Beaver Tales podcast. One of the stories I liked her sharing was the vault that got her essentially second team All-American. It was, I think, her last vault ever in NCAAs, which she finished her career on. She stuck the landing. And that's how her whole career finished. And it's about the best storybook ending you could hope for to end on that Absolutely. sort of note. Yeah. So did, did you ever have, I mean, a moment either like that in your career or that you've seen other athletes or the opposite ones that didn't finish well, but you learned something from it? I mean, how many times have you seen that play out of the very last vault, the very last floor routine, that sort of thing, and, and the lessons you learn and when that does or does not go scripted? Right. Um, it's, it's hard too. Cause I think she probably was realizing all, that that was going to be her last thing she did. Although if we would have made the finals, I think that year she could have gone again, but, but the achievement of becoming an all American was in that moment, uh, because the, the, then it just becomes a team final thing. Um, and that was, she worked, I, Mary is a hard worker. I mean, she, she would always do so many reps in the gym. We, she was one of the, we almost had to slow down. Like, you don't need to go in, <laughs> and, but that's why it paid off. You know, I mean, I cannot tell you how many vaults and how many repetitions we did to correct and get that position right. And, and that's, what's wonderful is that you can kind of look back and I can share that with other athletes that hard work pays off. I mean, all of them, Lacey Dagan had a lot of that. She worked really hard and some great things happened last year and, and paid off. Uh, I, I would say uh, Maddie Gardner, you know, took second or third on beam at finals. And that was the last thing she ever did. So there's probably a whole lot that I can't even remember after 23 years of scenarios of our athletes having their best performance that last one. There, I, I know one or two that maybe struggled here or there probably as well. But again, no matter what, it, like it boils down to this is a life experience. This is something you're going to grow from. Even if you struggle, if you learn from that and you grow, you're going to be off. You know, you're going to be paid off. It's a nice memory for Mary to, you know, that hard work all paid off. It was great. Um, but even if it wouldn't have, I hope she takes strength and, and understanding and the knowledge that she worked really hard for that outcome. And even if it wouldn't have been perfect, like my own personal, I tried to be an Olympian. And I recognized, I thought, oh, if I become an Olympian, all my problems were solved. But that was my own problem in my head, which wouldn't have been true. Um, you, I see Olympians that after they become Olympians or, or they make the NFL or any of the pro sports, it's like that. And then they, they didn't learn lessons from it, you know? And so any kind of thing, whether it's finishes great, you got to realize that was wonderful in the moment, but the next day, guess what? Got to get back up and go to work again. You know, that's, that's life. And hopefully you can learn from whatever experience you had and grow from it and, and come out a little stronger one way or the other.
My thanks again to Michael Chaplin for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Lots of gymnasts who have gone through this program are on to amazing things. He had a few suggestions for future guests I may get on down the road. But trying to spread out the guests across all the sports and represent the different areas. There's a couple sports I haven't seen as much of and still trying to reach out and get guests of any sport. And if you have any suggestions, definitely give me your feedback. In fact, there is an email list, not just for this podcast, but actually more specifically the Beaver Tales documentaries. If you sign up on there, you can respond to my emails, give me feedback, give me thoughts, suggest guests, suggest questions. So you get all those perks. If you sign up to this email list, there's a link in the description and you'll get an occasional update, maybe one a month, maybe two a month on the Beaver Tales documentaries. And you can learn more about what those are and their release date, all that sort of stuff in that link in the description for this episode. Stay tuned to the Beaver Tales podcast. Trying to go Monday, Thursday with these episodes, by the way. So if you're looking forward to future conversations with Oregon State coaches and student athletes, getting into a rhythm Monday mornings, Thursday mornings, and provide you some Beaver content. I'm Josh Warden, host of the Beaver Tales podcast. Good night, everybody, and go Beavs.